Welcome to the Professional Series. My name's Scott Jackson. I am so excited you're here. We have got an absolute cracker of an episode. It's with Alan from the Crisis Shield. He is literally the crisis guy. If you Google him, he has his own Wikipedia page. In Alan's words, go hard, go early and get it fixed. His job is to help you and your business, your colleagues when you're going through a crisis. Now, not going through a divorce, not going through a car accident, but if someone's having mental health issues in the workplace, if someone dies in the workplace, if you've got a COVID outbreak in the workplace, who do you call? You Google Alan and he's the one to speak to. Alan's one of my clients and he's one of the guys that attracts other people in a room. He's just an absolutely magnetic personality. Some of my favorite stories is a chicken farm that is one of his clients that had animal rights activists going through and filming things. And then that, then he gets a call of what the hell do we do here? He's also going through an interesting family caravan park that gets hacked, going through a cyber attack and having to hand over Bitcoin. And the result was they got some of the best customer service from the hackers that they couldn't imagine how good it was. So look, sit tight, buckle up, here we go. Thanks, Alan. Alan. Scott. Thank you so much for joining me. And welcome to the professional series. This has been a long time coming. You are one of my favorite guys to have in a room, and I'm glad that I've got you on the podcast. Great to be here, Scott. Uh, really appreciate the invitation. So let's kick off. What is it that you do? Well, Scott, I am the crisis guy. So if you're in a crisis, I'm the guy you need to call. My company basically works with large corporations. And I work with the executive teams and I prepare them for the inevitable crisis that will befall them. So I'm not going through a divorce. I haven't had a car accident recently. Like this specific crisis that we're talking about is that. Yeah, we're in the high end of crises. It's more around floods, fires, cyber attack, a pandemic, you know, active shooter, allegations of corruption, sex assault. Something that's really going to knock your organization. Right. So I'm a mid-tier business. I could be a construction firm. I could be a five-man startup. Do I need your services or is it the Crown Casinos, the Etihad Stadiums or the Marvel Stadiums? Great question, Scott. You absolutely need our services at that, at that sort of mid-tier. Every organisation should have a basic, we don't call it crisis actually, should have a critical incident plan. And what that is, that they've just got a structure and basically agreement how they'll handle things if something goes wrong. And if that could be a death on site, it could be a fire, a cyber event, allegations of corruption. We've got an agreed process that we'll use. And when it happens, we're prepared. We're not just trying to make it up you know, as it happens. We've thought about this, we're planned and prepared. Obviously, the larger the organisation, the more work we need to put into it and make it scale. So yes, everyone needs our services. The bigger the company, the more you need our services. All right. So, look, we've bonded because when we first were talking, there was a rather large chicken manufacturer that we were, in theory, talking about, and that had some people come in with video cameras and film some practices. Now, this story that I enjoyed was around those animal rights activists had gone from one shed to another shed to another shed to another shed, and those chickens were actually supposed to be in quarantine. That's correct, Scott. Yeah, what had happened, a um, activist had gone on site and obviously breached the quarantine area and had transferred the you know, infection, if you like, from one, or the virus from one site to another. So, and I'm not here to debate their cause, there's some pros and cons to that, but ironically, they actually might think the situation worse. I think you could actually relate that back to the protests we're seeing in relation to the COVID 
I think it's great that people can protest, but right now it's just not the right time. One of my favorite quotes on Twitter that I keep seeing is that you always look at a zombie movie and there's always the zombies that are slow moving and people sheltering in place. And it's like, hang on a second, in reality, you'd have people running towards the zombies being like, this is a government conspiracy. You're not actually zombies. This is all a fake news, fake lie. That's an interesting learning that COVID has shown us that, that you know, these people are protesting against it. So look, let's take a step backwards. What is it that you do to maintain a high performance? People on this podcast, they want to take away some nuggets and there's some specific things they want to talk away. The age demographic of my podcast thus far has been on the lower end. So as someone who's been around a little bit more, how is it that you maintain a high performance business and sort of just keeping yourself all together? We've talked about this offline a few times. I'm very much a big believer in having some routine and some discipline. And I suppose my time in the emergency services helped me with that. And if you see ex sort of military police people, while it's drilled into you at the time, you don't actually realise that that's such a great discipline. I think I've actually had that discipline since I was a young kid, but it's a bit like doing your homework, eating your vegetables, and then right through in your adult life, keeping that sort of discipline going. A few things I do is right throughout this whole period of time, I was fascinated seeing people say things like, oh, I don't have to shave, I wear my pyjamas every day. Well, I actually think that was very sloppy. Throughout the whole time, I still get up early, still have my workout in the backyard, you know, shave, shower. Um, I don't wear a full suit, but pretty close to it. I've been able to come in the office to the nature of our work, but I've kept that discipline the whole way through. And it's really given me time to separate work from home. And when I'm at work, I'm working. And I think people who don't have that discipline, I know. So let's break that down. So what does your specific discipline look like? Because people know that I'm a massive fan of, of the Jocko world, you know, in his crazy photos of Twitter on the watches. So what specifically do you do that if I was listening to this that I could take away from? Yep. Great. So every week you should have a routine. So yeah. I always find Sunday night is a great time to sort of map out your week. Just, you know, 15 minutes to work out, you know, what am I doing for the rest of the week? And sort of having a, in your head, you've mapped out what your week's going to look like. And as I said, each morning you're getting up, having that routine, getting up early, your alarm goes off. At the moment, it'd be very easy just to hit the snooze or kill the alarm because in a sense, you know, we didn't have to get, don't have to get up early. But keep that discipline, you know, getting up, getting out there, doing your exercise. It may be in the night or middle of the day. But the other thing, a few little things I've found is uh, everyone's posting, particularly on social media, about, you know, it's one o'clock at, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning. I've made the discipline not to drink during the week. I do drink on the weekends, but, you know, no alcohol during the week. So it just gives me that clarity. It's easier to slip down this slope of, you know, drinking during the day or during the week, um, not exercising, and it's a downward spiral. Yeah, yeah, totally agree with you. So maintaining that discipline during the week. So so I think you're about to click over 57. I think that's what we said last time. Yeah. And Alan's in great shape. And (laughs) it's something that we should all be aspiring to. And it sounds like the tricks are specifically no booze during the week exercise whatever works your preference is morning but sit sitting in whatever schedule that works for you guys yeah absolutely yep and keeping that discipline going you know throughout the reward you get will be tenfold a lot more clarity you know you'll feel stronger you'll feel better and yeah you'll just have that routine i think that's very important so let's touch on financial because i know we said this before and we're talking about if you're in your 50s and you're unhealthy you people have got to look after you yep if you're in your 50s and you're broke you can't help anyone Absolutely. I've always said uh, it's interesting. People think it's selfish, but in a time of uh, battle, the first person you have to look after is yourself. 
interesting. We, we're training a lot of people at the moment, and I'm very clear to them that look after your own, look after yourself. That's not being selfish. That's actually being smart. Yeah. Look after yourself because if you're strong and you know you're healthy, you can help other people. If you're sick or you're injured, someone's got to come and look after you. So number one is you know, and this is all about the self care and, and keeping yourself strong. And we talked about on the financial side. It fascinates me that the amount of people who, who I notice now f- having trouble financially because they haven't had the discipline up to this time to yeah. put a bit of money aside, have that discipline, don't overspend. They're earning $100, they're spending 110 And if you look back, you know, the older generations always say, always put a little bit aside for a rainy day. Yeah, these are people that talk to me saying, I can't afford a financial plan or I don't need a financial plan. And then they hit their late 50s, early 60s and going, oh, fuck, now what do we do? And it's a very difficult conversation to say, well, you know what? Look, we're you know, late 40s, early 50s. Let's get some rolling. There's, there is investments available. There is insurance that's important. Let's get this rolling. And, and having to have that conversation with people where they just sort of push it away and feel like, ah, oh, look, you know, I'll just Google this and figure it out myself is probably similar to both our industries. Yeah. And the other thing too is that people don't realize, say you're in your 20s or your 30s, you know, putting that money aside for the future, you think of oh, that's 20, 30 years away, you know, you turn around and you're like, wow, I'm here and what have I done? So, yeah, it's absolutely paramount. I mean, it is a bit off topic, but it's frightening that people are pulling their money out of superannuation for the wrong reasons. You know, we've government's given people that, that um, exemption to do it and what we're told, most people are not using it for the right reasons. Well, here's one for you. I know your plastic surgery has gone absolutely through the roof. I was talking with a mortgage broker last week and the banks are looking at if anyone has pulled out, pulled money out of super, they're less likely to lend money because they see that as bad financial stewardship. So lots of people are going, Ripper, I'll take 10 grand from my super. The spouse is going to take 10 grand from their super. Boom, we've got 20 grand. That's a house and land package deposit. We're good to go. And the banks are going, no, this is poor financial stewardship. We're not taking you on at all. And people took their money out of the market, out of their super when the market was absolutely at the worst point during this, this time. So they couldn't have made a worse choice. Yeah. Anyway, mate, so look, you're sitting in the police department, in the PR department, looking at CEOs having meltdowns, going through a crisis, and then you decided to make this switch and set up your own business. Is there some stories you can tell? Because I know a lot of stuff is confidential. Just going through your work of the past sort of two or three years, is there a couple of stories that come to mind that um, you've gone, we really helped these people, or this was a really interesting scenario in which someone should have been using our services? Well, look, I, yeah, I won't obviously identify clients, but the thing that has always fascinated me, and I work with a lot of senior people, the ones that have invested the time, and I know it's spruiking the business, a bit like yourself, but there's a good reason for it, is that when I've worked with um, executives who've put a bit of time into the preparation for a, a bad day or crisis, when it happens, look, it does knock you around, but you withstand it. You can manage it well, and you come out of it very, very strong, and you know, it's not such a hit. Then I've, I remember back in the police force days, and that's what really drove me to start the business. I, I go to organisations, had no preparation. And when I say no preparation, these were things that you would highly expect to happen. If you're running, a, for example, a transport company, there's a high probability one of your trucks is going to be involved in an accident. You, know, you should be, obviously, get your trucks serviced, uh, you've got insurance, your drivers are properly qualified. Oh, no. But you should also be working on a pretense, well, one of those trucks could crash into, well, one crashed into a four police officers and killed them. So that's probably at the extreme. But 
if I went to a logistics company, I'd be looking at, you know, are your trucks serviced? Have you got insurance? Your drivers, you know, tested regularly, they're properly qualified. And, you know, I'd also be working on worst case scenario, they do crash into, you know, a school bus and, you know, kill half a dozen school kids. Are you prepared for that? And I found organisations put the preparation work in. Interestingly, when they engage our services, part of it is to look at what are your risks through your risk sort of matrix, what have you done to mitigate to try and stop that happening, and then if it did happen, how you'd respond. And I found that companies that do that, you know, they're really good companies. They're solid. They're trying to mitigate things. In the worst case scenario, it happens. They can still manage it reasonably well, as opposed to companies who go, look, I'll worry about that on the day it happens. It's a bit like, I think I'll take out insurance, Scott. <laughs> now I've got cancer. <laughs> <Bit late. laughs> it doesn't work. Yeah. People call me all the time. Yeah. yeah. My brother just had a heart attack. Can I get some life insurance? Yeah. Actually, I can give a very close story about that. It's only a few weeks ago. I had a car accident and yeah, a very good lesson I learned. And I've actually used this and I've told you the story. I was leaving the office a few weeks ago, seven o'clock. It was just getting dark, light rain. I only live a three kilometres from the office in the city here, driving home three cars on the road. One was behind me and then an Uber driver came out, went through a giveaway sign, just next thing I saw a flash in front of me and I crashed into him. Anyhow, I wrote my car. It was a a Jeep, fairly large vehicle. All the airbags went off. And it was interesting. I got out and I I was okay, minor injury on a thumb. The other guy was okay. And then he said to me, do you mind making this, saying this happen later on because I haven't got any insurance. Whoa. Which, of course, I didn't comply with. I rang my insurance straight away, who were terrific, by the way. So what did you do? So you had a crisis. What's your crisis principles and how did you apply them in that specific scenario? Yeah, well, I think part of it was, you know, the vehicle I had was a very uh, safe vehicle. I wasn't speeding. I wasn't uh, influenced by alcohol or drugs. I had insurance. So What did you do? What specifically were the steps? So you assessed the situation? Well, I think stepping back, you know, you're driving a car and it's interesting, the message I've got right now, a lot of people, I was on the phone to someone this morning said, I'm thinking about dropping my health insurance. And I'm thinking that is the dumbest thing you could do. You know, right now people are looking to reduce their costs. You know, we still need our insurance. We still need to have some of those things in place. So going back to that scenario, the car accident, car was roadworthy, just actually had a big service. It was insured. You know, I wasn't speeding, you know, alcohol, no drugs. You know, no factors that. The accident still happened, although I was doing everything right. It still happened, but I had sort of the best protection I could put around myself. I know one of the things is, is that when I was in a car accident about a year ago, the first thing I did was I had the same situation. The, the person said, oh, look, I'm not insured. Can you not tell anyone? That was my moment to pull out my camera and start filming everything. I filmed people on the side. I got faces of people so that I could call them up for witnesses you know, people weren't very happy because, you know, I was in the middle of commercial road, but literally I filmed it, the angle that he'd come at, the swipe down my car, it was just all there. And then that went straight off to the insurer. So we went from there. So let's just take a step back. So one of my favorite stories from you is that in your view, cyber attack is going to be one of the biggest issues. Do I pay the ransom if my business gets shut down? What happens? Yeah. Well, and this is quite fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt cyber is going to be ongoing. In the future, will be more. And no sooner do we get some protection around it, they'll work another way to hack through another thing. One of the interesting things on a side note, one of the biggest vulnerabilities you have with a cyber um, event is through your staff. You guys listening to this? Through your staff. Through your staff. So what does that mean specifically? Yeah, and I can give you an example. One client of ours had 
would you believe finance staff were actually shopping on a site called Alibaba and you know the hackers came in through that channel so yeah, yeah staff in the one if I, if I left a USB lying I've got one here actually left it lying in the foyer and you know I had a Trojan in there how many staff would pick it up and plug it in to see who owned it it's like a social engineering attack yeah absolutely so this is about you know just training your staff you come to work People to get off the mindset, you're at work, you're at work. It's work, computer, work time. And, you know, once you start going off and looking at other sites and opening things up, and a lot of companies now are always testing with phishing. They'll put out an email, you know, your one test photo or the CEO wants to talk to you and you click and open it and bang, you know, they've got inside. So a lot of it, if you've got a business, you've got to keep training your staff, reminding them that, you know, be very vigilant around this type of stuff. Right. So I am a small regional caravan park. Yep. And my turnover is not high. I'm not doing very much. You know, I'm a four-person business and my software gets locked down and I call you. Yep. What happens? Yeah. Well, is it, uh, yeah, you know. <laughs> I know this story. This is, one of my, this is why I had to get you on podcast because yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, the interesting, I did have a scenario. There was what happened. Um, it was a small business and they had been hacked and, they then got an IT company in to start trying to encrypt the, um, and they found it was just so expensive, paying the ransom, and they said the customer service they got off the hacker was actually amazing. So pay the Bitcoin, and then they, they, they're on the phone giving them, you know, like a helpline, and the reason they do that, and they're so helpful, because if they go and hack it and you pay um, the ransom and you don't get that support, the message through to everyone is that, don't pay the ransom because it, you're no better off. So if they pay the ransom, you know, as they got the, the key to unlock their data and they said the five or 10000 they paid was easier and quicker than trying to get uh, IT experts in to fix it. Right. So you're saying in that scenario they paid it and they had a, well, I'm not saying a good experience, but they learned a $10,000 lesson and yep. their business continued. Yep. So your advice is to not pay it. Why? Because what you're doing is setting a precedent there. Now, look, sometimes that, in that case, it was to their advantage because they had left themselves so exposed, it was very easy. The larger the organisations, absolutely not. Don't pay it. You know, reporting to the police and then also getting your IT firm. And that's, once again, having good protection around that. If you've got a medium to large business, and we've got one, you should have a good IT provider. It's putting, you know, securing your network. The minute you've got a problem, you're on to them and they can then start tracing it back. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Mm-hmm. So let's say I know that you work with a number of footy clubs or professional sports athletes. Yeah. What's your view on if I was a footy club, what the hell do I do? I've got a bunch of 18 to 21-year-olds who are full of testosterone. I've got young things of the opposite sex throwing themselves at them on the weekends. What's, what has happened and what's your advice? Look, this is a challenge one, Scott, as you know, is the issue of how we've worked for these in the past is that what will happen, the weekend comes and I'll play up and, of course, so we're, we're engaged, you know, we put together a really good response. And what does that look like? Oh, it's an apology. You know, I've let my family, my teammates down. I've learnt my lesson. So it all sounds good. And, you know, most people go, yeah, you are, you're young, exactly, full of energy and you made some, a bad mistake. Following weekend. I go and do the same thing again. So what happens? So you're so one of my favorites. You're actually literally writing these guys a script. So this is yep. where the PR hat comes on specifically. Yep. So yep. 
Um, I enjoy that that when we watch on the news that we watch sort of on the socials, there's a player going through an apology. They've had someone like you write them a script that they need to memorize and follow. And they also have to tell their friends and family that same script that they need to stay on well, on script to, to yeah, yeah on message. point. Yeah, on message, on point. Well, right on, yeah. on message, right on. That, there yeah. we go. That's the lingo. Yeah. Now, the problem with this is it all sounds good and no matter what you've done, when you get some creatives like uh, myself, and there's plenty of others out there too, we can put a really good script together. Most people can sense it too. What the problem is, if it's not authentic and you're not going to keep to that, mm-hmm. then it's, not worth, it's actually more damage. Because what happened, people go, well, hold on, last weekend you said, I'm really sorry, I apologize, um, I've learned my lesson. A week, a month later, I've done the same thing. Let's now accelerate up into the corporate world and look at AMP. Now, I don't know if you've been watching, but they were saying over the last few years, yep, we've had some a poor culture, we've made some adjustments, you know, we've learned our lesson, you know, this won't happen again. And it happened again and again. So your credibility is just gone. And I always say when we go into organisations, before we start writing this script, we've got to go back to what are your values you know, what's the organisation stand for? What position do we take? And that's, I love this word, position. Because once we know what our position is on this, then that's where we go from. Right. So do you assist them with that positioning or is that yeah. who comes up with that? Absolutely. Well, they should have their own set of values, but <laughs> we go and talk about what are your values and what position. And let's project this into the future a little bit. All right? We're now working with a lot of companies saying, you're going to have staff coming back into your organisation say half your staff come back in, you've got them socially distanced. I walk back in the office and I say, this whole thing's been rubbish. I'm not going to have a vaccination. I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm not going to socially distance. It's all been a, a fake. And a work colleague turns up and says, you know what, I've just gone, I'm, book- I'm the first one to get the vaccination. I wear the mask all the time. They come in, kitted up in full PPE. What are you going to do? You've got two conflicting people there. And I'm not here to judge whether one's right or wrong. Help me, Alan. I'm in a crisis. What do I do? So what will your advice be to those people? Yep. All right. So if you're an employer, I have to have a position. And I have to communicate that to my staff. That's what we're doing with a lot of people. I was working with the tourism industry last week. And I gave the example, you're running a caravan park or accommodation. Someone drives two, three hours, turns up, goes into the reception to get the keys and you do a temperature check and go, sorry, your temperature's too high, you can't come inside, you can't stay here, how do you think that person's going to react? Not too well. I can actually talk about this. I've had someone was told that this is back in lockdown version one, that they got a temperature check. They basically just took a jacket off, stood out in the cold for a while and came back inside and then got another one. So I think those temperature checks are not a good filter. Yeah, I agree on that. But going on that principle... What we need to do is have a position. So if you're running a, you know, you're a tourism operator, you're an employer, I'm looking around here in the city mm-hmm. at all its buildings, as people start coming back into the workforce, we need to have a position. So, And we need to communicate that to our staff and all our stakeholders. So companies that are going to come in and have meetings, so when you come in, we'll expect you to be wearing a mask, to wash, sanitise your hands. We can't sit next to each other. You know, we're one and a half metres apart. Make that very clear. So once you've got a position, everyone's cool with that. And if someone comes in and says, I'm anti-vaxxed or anti-mask or, you know, I don't want to sit next to somebody who came from a hot zone, you've got to go through all these scenarios and have a position on it and say, that's our position. That's a great way. That's a great way of putting it. So I think the future risks on this, in this business around, so like we mentioned, you know, let's say someone has a mental health on the floor because 
doesn't matter how big your business is. If, if someone has a mental health breakdown, there's two people in the business, there's five people, there's a thousand people, what should we be doing? What should our mental health care plan from a crisis perspective look like? Yeah. Once again, we're working with a lot of clients. Everyone's flagging mental health issues are going to be challenging moving forward. And I agree. I think there'll be some challenges. We have actually been training people to, it's a bit of a shift, is that historically we saw someone with mental health issues usually as an external threat. So mm-hmm. someone will come into your business, to your front door, and you know they're aggravated for some reason. We didn't actually see that threat coming internally. What we're now anticipating, you may be wrong, we're anticipating you're going to come back to the workforce and someone's going to be at work and one day they'll just snap. And that could be because their relationship, you know, alcohol, drug abuse, it could be financial problems, just the stress of everything that's happened. Yeah. And, they, and this is the person you think, hold on, well, Alan is a pretty sensible, level-headed guy. What's he doing screaming at everyone, throwing chairs? What are we going to do? So what we're advising people to do, particularly about recognising that, you know, offering the, the support to them, but I think the most critical thing is how you manage it when it happens. And we call it de-escalating the situation. So Alan's there, he's grabbed one of the knives from the kitchen and he's running around screaming or grabbing... Has this happened? Has this happened in a workforce It has recently? happened in a workforce, but out of COVID, I don't know. It has happened previously in workforces where yeah. someone... I mean, Facebook had it where a employee came back with a firearm in the US. That's at the extreme level. We're talking more about people, I think, having a, a breakdown at work. They've come yeah. back and it's just all too much, overwhelming. And they could just, you know, fall in a heap crying or yelling and screaming. And we're also going to see a lot of forced redundancies as well. So, you know, people told, look, you no longer got a position here. Yep. So it's about deep, what we call de-escalating that situation. So talking to the people, calming them down, supporting them and managing that well. Right. So if I'm listening to this podcast, I'm a manager, I know a manager, I'm just a staff member. It doesn't matter who you are. It's that concept of like, what's our position on this? Yep. There is a crisis that's going to come. We always know there will be a mental health issue in the office or yep. dealing with our own ones. It's reviewing it. Yep. And supporting those people too. And you're right. You, you might be just their employee and you're seeing a work colleague having a breakdown. It's like, you know, we used to, in a sense, look at them as a perpetrator or the offender in the past. Well, hold on, all of a sudden this has become a, this is a work colleague. So, you know, I've got a... We're on the same team. Yeah, we're on the same team. Now, we're obviously going to, once again, protect ourselves, (laughs) don't walk into danger, but also acknowledge this could happen and it's de-escalating and supporting them. Alan, what's your view on this Victorian lockdown and where we've gone with the, say, the, say the COVID cases that spiked out of the hotels versus, say, you know, Adelaide or New South Wales? As I keep saying, staff are usually, or you know, human beings are where most things fall over. Systems <laughs> and machines usually are fairly reliable. People aren't. I find this quite fascinating. It was human error that causes the most problems with the COVID issue here, particularly in Victoria. Uh-huh. If we look back at the return travellers, people don't understand what a pandemic is. In fairness, you know, the, the return travellers didn't understand the severity of it. The people who were the security guards, they didn't understand the severity of it. And it really needed some people with that oversight. And my, the day I die, I will say it had to be police or military had to supervise that. Those people were in quarantine for a reason. They had to be locked in those rooms. Yeah, that's where the concept of the quarantine actually comes from, which was the ships that would wait offshore for, I think it was 30 days or something like that. Yeah, yeah, they, in fact, figured it out. 
Yeah, exactly. So years gone by, you know, 100 years ago when the ships came in, I've actually dived on the site down in uh, Port Phillip Bay where the ships quarantined because they'd throw plates and spoons out over the side of the ship. And you dive and find, you know, it's an off-quarantine station down on the Mornington Peninsula. Wow. The ships came in. Even back then they knew we have to quarantine this ship until we know it's, it's safe to bring these people on shore. Same principles today. And the problem was people didn't understand that I can't go out and just touch or talk to someone else because I'll spread it. And, of course, we know that now. So that and the other thing is, of course, highly vulnerable people. So we look at the aged care. That, we should have locked them down immediately. People say there wasn't a rule book. There was. History had a rule book for it. We'd seen what had happened over in other countries. Look at the pandemic movies. <laughs> you know? I mean, those people should have sat down and been shown that movie. They go, oh, because they, they're great. Movies were based on fact. Now, that should have been their training. Watch Pandemic. Then you'll understand what a pandemic is. Yeah, I think you had the Bill Gates documentary from, what, 2015 or 16 or something talking about it. Yeah, okay. So the summary is is that we need to plan for the worst, yep. manage the human element, which is always the thing that messes us up. Yep. That'll be that time and time again is shown. That's where the, the biggest flaw comes through and, you know, and that's why going back to having processes and systems and being mm. disciplined. That's why, you know, the military, when they go into war, you know, if the senior person says, I need you to go down that road and head in that direction for five miles or five kilometres, wherever it may be, they will do it. They won't turn around and question them because they know it's built on process and good rigour and, and good decision making. Great. Right. Alan, thanks for your time. Look, I love your stories. I love your chats. I know there's always some offline conversations that of stories that you can't always publicly share, but of the ones you have shared, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, great, Scott. It's great to uh, to chat. And uh, I think at the end of the day, it's just adding value. You know, it's telling, giving some people some, like you said, some gems that they can use in the workplace and at home. Sure. So if I was want to get in touch with you, how can I find you? Crisisshield.com.au or the crisis guy. You Google that, you'll find me. So, Alan's, Alan's one of the few men who actually has managed to wrangle a Wikipedia page in his own name. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, Christ your shield here. We've got an office over in the UK. Oh, just, I'll just touch on that quickly. Uh, talking to our, our team in the UK, in London, now having a really big hit for the second wave. So, you know, once again, big learnings out of that. You know, here in Australia, we've got to migrate this back slowly. Don't just, this is not like a flood or a fire or, um, you know, a cyber event, it just doesn't end like that. You know, this is going to be ongoing. We're going to sort of phase out of this, if you like. Really? Yeah. That's a big warning for if you're in a workplace, don't everyone come back to work and you will have to socially distance. You know, a lot of stuff is annoying. We don't want to do it, but we're going to have to put up with it for a while until this thing settles down. Great. All right. Alan, thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. All right. Thanks so much for listening to that podcast. That was absolutely amazing. Alan is an absolute goldmine and don't forget to do check him out on the internet and on LinkedIn. If you want to support this podcast, please subscribe, please forward to your friends and we are trying to grow it. And if you've got any questions for me, if I can help you with any financial planning or insurance questions, please feel free to reach out on LinkedIn. It's Scott Jackson on LinkedIn or alternatively, you can just Google my name and find us on the internet. Thanks so much for watching. Here's to our next one.